This podcast is a part of CGN Media, a podcast network that points to Christ. We are supported by listeners like you. To help us create more great shows, visit cgnmedia.org support. I really do think that if, if a practical lesson for me has been in the act of collaboration is managing expectations. And I know we've, we've mentioned that because I've seen some of the best stuff come out of collaboration and I've also seen some of the the most pain and hurt come from unmet expectation, especially in LA when everyone just had all this vision and the church was growing like so many hurt feelings amongst lay leaders and staff members. And it forced me to really be clear like, hey, that's amazing. Um, there's a lot of caveats there. It could be a ministry for you or for a group or, you know, a parachurch thing or for the church. So I want to walk you through exactly, you know, what this process looks like as opposed to just leaving it mystical and mysterious. Like, I emailed Rob and I emailed Andy and Ted never got back to me, you know, so I don't know. Like, it's just so nice to just say it up front and just manage people's expectations so that the collaboration process doesn't produce any kind of pain. Well, welcome to season three, episode 31 of the Leadership Collective podcast. Today on the Leadership Collective podcast, we are talking about building a culture of collaboration in your ministry. Ted, who are our guests today? Well, we're joined by two great guys today. We have uh, Tim Chaddock, the lead pastor at Reality Church in Ventura, California, and Pastor Andy Dean, uh, the lead pastor at Cornerstone Church in Wildemar, California. Welcome to the program, guys. Thank you. Good to be here. It's great to join you guys. Hey, Tim, let's just jump in with you. You've had quite the ministry journey over uh, the last decade or so. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your story and the best places to get tea in London. <laughs> you mean coffee? Um, yes. I drink tea, but yes. <laughs> Even though I think that almost got me kicked out of the, the UK. Um, so briefly, I worked at uh, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa from 2001 to 2004. So those are my first formative years in ministry. It's where I got ordained, um, got my roots, uh, loved it. My wife was born and raised there at that church, during which time I met Britt Merrick, who started a small church planning network called uh, Reality. And I was the first plant of the first Reality Church. And we moved to LA, Hollywood in particular. So that was 2005 when we got that going and God did a lot of crazy things. And we were there for 10 years. And then at the end of 10 years, when everything was going great in LA, we sensed that God was calling us to sell everything and move to London <laughs> to start over again and plant a church in London. So we did. We were able to transition the church in LA and we moved to London. And uh, in 2015, we planted Reality Church London. And we were there for about five years and through a lot of different um, kind of decisions and conversations and a lot of different prayers discerned that we were supposed to come back to California. So since that time, I started at Reality Ventura, which is a part of our family of churches, uh, people that I knew really well. It seemed like a good spot for ministry in our family. So we moved and I started um, here in Ventura in 2021. So I'm currently the teaching pastor here at Reality Ventura. So wow. cool. Orange County, LA, yeah. London, Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, Andy, you uh, you recently uh, took over the position of lead pastor mm -hmm. at uh, Cornerstone. Um, tell us about your journey there. Yes, I was uh, eight years a youth pastor at a Calvary Chapel in New Jersey, where I learned ministry. And then uh, after I wrote a book on how to study the Bible and mailed it to the president of the Bible College in California, 
he asked me to come out and teach some classes there. So I started doing two-week intensive courses. My wife's from California, so she was happy to come along. And, and then one day, they asked me to move out there and, and take over the school as the director. And so I did that for eight years until 2012. And, uh, and around that time, I was trying to introduce the college to other churches in the area that weren't Calvary chapels. So I, uh, I started having coffees and lunches with different pastors, and everything completely backfired at Cornerstone <laughs> because I was trying to, we're trying to recruit him. He taught a class for us, but then right. he was looking for someone to transition the church to. And so we, uh, we prayed about it. I taught a few times to kind of feel it out and uh, made that decision. About 15 minutes before COVID left Wuhan in January, I made the decision to leave the Bible College and uh, take over at Cornerstone, and uh, that was expedited as we had to send all of our students home, and uh, so I I went there in April, did a two-year transition, uh, read a bunch of books on transitioning, and then uh, next week will be my second year as lead pastor. Very cool. And we hear things are going amazing there, so it's really awesome. I'm glad you're doing that, Andy. Well, guys, today we're talking about building a culture of collaboration in your church and in your ministry, and I think it's safe to say that collaboration is not something that any of us really saw modeled when we were growing up in ministry. I mean, I know the culture that I grew up in um, was sort of a every man for himself kind of mindset. The senior pastor had his responsibilities, and then every other ministry had their responsibilities, and the ministries sort of all had their own focus, and, and if you were leading a ministry, it was almost kind of a sink or swim type of mentality that you have. And in fact, I don't remember even times where we even met and prayed for each other or what was going on, you know, in our ministries. It was definitely like an every man for himself type of, of, of culture. Um, what about you guys? What was, uh, you know, was collaboration something that you were exposed to early on in ministry? You want to go first, Tim? Yeah. It's funny that you say that phrase, every man for himself, because that was my experience in the early years. And I think that that mm. wasn't a bug. It was a feature. Like it was mm-hmm. seen as a virtue, you know, yeah. here you go. And if God's in it, you'll float. And if not, you'll <laughs> right. sink. And I, I, don't, right. I don't mean that with any kind of, you know, ill will or anything. I, I think it was genuinely seen as like, this is kind of the best way. Just, um, yeah. Here's your opportunity. Stay in your lane, you know, unless you need some huge help or if you're going to do anything that drastically impacts the budget, like, just, you know, do your thing. So I, I, I think I assume that that is how it's supposed to be in ministry. And the two things I notice is like some of that will depend on a church's ecclesiology, how they have things structured, you know, specifically. Yeah. But some of it more, I would say, was just the culture. That's just the way things yeah. were we're done where that came from. Obviously it's going to look different, you know, depending on where we were Mm -hmm. working and what environments we're are in. But it was during those years that I really craved the collaboration because I realized like, Mm -hmm. I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't think, (laughs) how do I know? Because nobody's telling me. (laughs) Right. And I really, and not only that, but I love working with people. Like even if we have roles and we'll get into it, I'm sure. But I, I think some, they have a fear of like, oh, no, if, if I have this position of authority, if I collaborate with someone, you know, technically beneath me, will that lessen my authority? Like maybe some yeah, people yeah. have those fears and concerns, but I don't see that as any threat. I only see it as a benefit. And I began to crave it. 
So I agree yeah. with you, Rob. Like that was very much my experience, <laughs> and it was in that environment that I started craving collaboration. Yeah. Mm. What about you, Ted? What was your experience like? Um, it, it was more of like what you talked about. Yeah. That that experience, and you know, I agree with you, Tim. That I think there's there's sort of, I, I guess I'd phrase it this way: that there's this common denominator uh, amongst uh, certainly our our. Um, our tribe yeah. in our experience. But, but I, you know, I don't think the, even our tribe has the corner on this market. You know, I think that um, there's, there's many churches do where the common denominator is there's a top-down structure. Right. And, uh, and that's what you were talking about, Tim, is that sort of top-down structure. And, and that, that chokes out collaboration before it even starts. Right. You know? You have no voice. You have no voice. And, um, and so, you know, I definitely experienced that. Although I will say it wasn't so much collaboration, eh, but maybe it was. My, my senior pastor, we actually hired him. We had started the church before he came. Mm-hmm. So that experience was a little bit different. Certainly was not, you know, Calvary Chapel but prototypical. But um, since we hired him and brought him in and had established the ministry, there was, I enjoyed more collaboration than than many, um, but still, yeah. you know, there still was an underlying flavor yeah. of, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Ted's the only yeah. guy I know who planted a church as an XP. <laughs> not, yeah. the, not the lead guy. Right. It's true. Know? That's exactly how it went down. Um, what about for you, Andy? What was your experience like? Yeah, I was, I was hired with zero skills and ability and training and uh, given a platform, and uh, I craved mentorship. And I sought it out and got it because I sought it out, but without, uh, it wasn't required of me. I was given some books to read. Um, I, th- I think I thrived personally in the, a culture where I could think a thought and run with it. Mm. And the Lord was just, you know, merciful and allowed some of those things to be helpful. Some things, you know, after having gone through seminary, I would obviously do different differently now and do a better job of equipping the parents to be primary disciple makers, stuff like that. But, but I can't say that the like the youth leaders with me were thriving. They all, they all say I discipled them and they, they love the Lord and all, all that kind of stuff, but I wasn't thinking about their development at all or their okay. ideas. They were just enjoying implementing the ideas I did. So I don't think that was healthy, although it happened to work, mm-hmm. but that was just luck at that point. At the Bible college, I began to have you know a board above me and um, a ministry above me that I was able to glean more from and learn from. Yeah. And at the church, to be honest, because I didn't have any of that training, like I didn't come in here with the natural giftings uh, of this collaboration leadership skills uh, but we were blessed we are blessed to have a great executive pastor that's mm. uh, very gifted in that so I'm leaning really heavily on him for my personal training and for him to just run with some of that stuff too gotcha gotcha um, so that's a good segue into you know how has this changed now that you know we're all lead pastors and you know as we're leading our own churches um, let's talk about what that you know, has looked like to build a culture of collaboration in the various aspects of ministry. And let's maybe start, uh, Tim, with the idea of just casting vision for your church. Is mm-hmm. that something in your tribe and reality that is a collaborative thing? Um, or is it the lead pastor gets the vision and, you know, lays it out? Yeah, it's a great question. I, th- I think we've all, you know, kind of journeyed through this, you know, over, over the years, wrestling with how much collaboration is appropriate and helpful and whatnot. The first thing that comes to my mind, and I'm sure you guys would agree with this, one conversation is about your ecclesiology and how you structure your church. Um, yeah. 
but I, I think you can have that conversation separately. I think even with however tightly your, I know this is kind of a bad word, hierarchy is is structured, you can still collaborate within that. So I wouldn't want anyone to hear yeah. this thinking, oh no, I can't hold the title of lead pastor if we collaborate. Like I'm not getting into any of that. You can hold yeah. all of the right positions, senior pastor, lead pastor, whatever it is, and then have a culture of collaboration. So for me, um, and I think this is, particularly true of a lot of people who have started their own churches. There is a fear that the vision you have, if it hasn't found some kind of buy-in or agreement at like a roots grassroots level, that it's going to feel very just kind of top down, maybe even disconnected Mm. at best. And out of my concern, you know, of wanting to present a vision that really resonated with what God was already doing in the, in the congregation, I made it a point to really connect with whenever it came to like time to cast vision for the church, I would meet with all of our, not only our staff, but our lay leaders and key leaders and kind of hear what God was doing. I would at times run by some of the things I was thinking of regarding vision for the church, just to kind of, you know, I wasn't saying, Hey, can you make the decision for me? Can I outsource my Mm -hmm. senior leadership? Like that's not what I was saying. Mm -hmm. I would just say, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm really sensing and thinking, you know, as God has put me in this position, here's where I'm thinking the direction is going. Does that resonate with you? And they'd be like, yes, or maybe, or a little bit, but one thing to think about. And that was so helpful so that when I went and cast the vision or presented it, there was like so much more resonance because there had been that collaboration mm-hmm. on the ground level. So you don't have to relinquish your, you know, position right. of, a, of authority or whatever. It's just, it can be as simple as just having conversation mm-hmm. with leader, lay leaders and staff members of, of your church. And that was so helpful and so formative for me, especially as a younger church planner where I was always second guessing myself, like, is this a right. thing? Is this the right, am I off here? Am I missing it? Yeah, that's good. You know, in, in our culture at, at Calvary Vista, um, I actually call this as, as it relates to vision. I'll call it the, the four C's of vision. And, and, and we say this, in, in our church structure, anyone can cast vision. Um, it can come from me. It can come from someone on staff. It can come from someone in our leadership. It can come from somebody in the congregation. And so there are things that, you know, we do in our church that have came directly from an idea, a vision that somebody in our body had. And uh, so our four C's is that, you know, anybody can cast the vision. And then the second C is clarity. So when somebody comes with an idea, our leadership team will then ask questions. And we want to get clarity as to what does this look like? And, you know, how would this work? And, you know, that sort of thing. And then once we get clarity, the third C is confirmation. So our leadership team, which consists of 10 guys, will take some time to pray over that. And then they'll come back with a, you know, hey, we think God's in this. Let's go for it. And then the fourth C is um, the carrying out. And so that's when we look to our staff and we look to the body of how do we carry out this Mm -hmm you know, vision. And I found that to be so fun because, you know, our leadership team and myself have probably cast the overall vision for, you know, the the church. But I love seeing the body get a vision for something. Like, give me an example. We do this thing every year that we call the Mary Mall. And uh, so we have 
a shopping day for people in our community to come into the church. And we, we bought this year, I think it was 3,000 gifts. And so we had all these people from our community that are low-income people. They come in and they get, to, they get gifts for their kids for free. And, um, and so, you know, this was an idea that somebody had, um, in our body. And so we, we gave gifts this year to 1200, uh, kids in our community mm-hmm. outside of our church. Okay. And it was a, it was an idea that somebody else, you know, had right. that you know, the body, you know, our leadership got behind it, the body got behind it. And, um, it just keeps growing every single year but that's an example of sure. what i mean of somebody else getting a vision for something and we're like yeah let's go for that right kind of thing mm-hmm. and sometimes you know instantaneously yeah mm-hmm. i mean we had we had a gal in our church and i think I, I may have told this story before but we had a gal in our church she was uh she was a chinese missionary uh, out of costa mesa and then when she came back into the state she finished up you know landed here uh and uh, this gal is an evangelist at heart she's passionate uh, about sharing the gospel. Um, it's just who she is. And uh, just a, a regular attender here at our church. And the next thing you know, you know, she's, she discovers, she's out in the community sharing Christ, and she discovers that uh, in uh, certain businesses here in town, uh, they were all Chinese-owned. Wow. And, uh, and so she's knowing that, she started targeting uh, all of these little massage shops in town that were all Chinese-owned, and people are coming to, to faith left and right. Well, I walked into the sanctuary one day, and there was a box of what I thought were iPods there, and I'm like, what are these? And, uh, and one of our guys says, well, that's, that's, our, uh, that's our translators uh, for, our, for our Chinese ministry. And I said, we have a Chinese ministry? <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. Well, I mean, they just, these guys just saw what God was doing. She's bringing people to Christ left and right. They all speak Mandarin. And so my uh, multimedia department had just bought translators. And this gal's there sitting there translating. I mean, we have, I mean, I want to say we probably have 75 Chinese people now in our Chinese ministry that start. And I'm like, let's buy more translators. Let's get, let's get this gal whatever she needs. And, um, and again, it just happened. It was yeah. an initiative that, that somebody took in mm. the spirit. And, you, and, and you're like, she's bringing people who are, you know, in a questionable industry, living a questionable lifestyle to Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, and you just want to get behind that. Mm. I love that. Yeah. I, I love what you said, Tim, about going and asking Mm-hmm. questions and, and going and sharing like, hey, this is something I feel like God's kind of put in my heart. Do you bear witness mm-hmm. with this? Or, you know, I think that's a really, really um, smart thing to do. And it takes some pressure off of you to, oh, to yeah. feel like, you know, I, I got to go up to the mountain like Moses and mm-hmm. get the word from God and then bring it down and share it. You know, can you elaborate on that a yeah, little bit? It's actually funny that you mentioned that. I think that, that last example of like, I'm Moses, I got to go, you know, by myself kind of away and I bring the vision down. I do think that that is the experience of a lot of leaders that they, they think that's the expectation. Maybe the congregation has the expectation of the, the leaders, but man, for two reasons that stand out to me that I definitely experienced in LA and London, which they're just very difficult places 
obviously to live, but also to, to minister. And I think that sense of overwhelm, you really want to like pay attention to what's going on and how's the congregation, you know, experiencing everything. And when we moved to London, I think I was so aware of the culture gap, you know, between me being an, an American, I'm an expat, I'm living there. Obviously, I have my theology, I have my convictions, of course, there's all that, my role as a lead pastor. But as far as how to carry out the ministry, I was so aware that I was going to have a lot of blind spots. And so I really leaned into collaboration um, mm-hmm. in that. And like you said, Robin, I'm sure you know you guys have felt this way before. I think it takes the pressure off like in two ways. I think one, you don't just feel alone you know, in it. And for me, that's like a big right. deal. But two, I just think that's part of how the, the – that's – how the body's meant to work. Like we're all gifted in different ways. Love acts chapter six, you know, they bring the need and you know, Peter's like, Hey, choose among yourselves. You know, these people are full of faith, full of the Holy spirit, Mm -hmm. full of wisdom, like go for it. Like Rob, you described earlier that like empowering ministry. It's not a free for all. Mm -hmm. There's still real decision-making power. It's not free for all, but it is collaborative. And I I love it. I love the journey. It does take the pressure Mm -hmm. off because you know, if you, I know the word succeed is a dirty word in the church, but if it, if it's fruitful, then you experience the fruit right. together. If it's not that fruitful, yeah. you experience the failure together. Right. Like, and you learn <laughs> right. from it. Yeah. You can like debrief. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, that's so good. So Andy, with you, when you uh, coming in to an existing culture mm-hmm. and an existing sort of structure and how things are going, um, how how was the collaborative process for you going in? And maybe how did you tweak it? What what yeah. did you do? Yeah, I've been blessed with great mentors in my life. And the founding pastor of Cornerstone told me early on that uh, he knows that I'm different than him and that I'm going to take the church in a different direction. And that's why he chose me. And mm-hmm. so he didn't want me to doubt any leading mm-hmm. I was feeling from the Lord. And so that, that gave me a lot of confidence because we're very different people. It's great. He's better, than I, he's better than I am, to be honest. But we're very different. And um, so that kind of support... He, he just wants to be able to voice his early on, those opinions, and then he always ends it, well, you're the lead pastor, you know, what do you want to do? And um, those early mentoring conversations were crucial. But I was encouraged, actually, to go and seek uh, the Lord for, like, five years' worth of vision, like, just some yeah. bigger, longer-term things. And um, I love I love the spiritual discipline, solitude, being alone, Sabbaths, all that. So I, I enjoyed getting away and doing that, but I am a verbal processor. Yeah. And... Um, and the Lord loves to hear my voice, but I love I love when people can look at me and give me the verbal, you know, the nonverbal cues. Like that was a dumb idea, yeah. and I just real quick p- pivot from that. So, I constantly toss out mediocre ideas, and the team is very gracious to talk them through with me. Let me know how they're feeling about them, and um, I feel a lot of safety in doing that with them. And I don't feel like they're judging me in horrible ideas. Yeah. And so, um, so I was I I did, I did seek the Lord for vision, but I just kept walking across the hall and and talking with all the pastors about it. Right. I'm an extrovert and a verbal processor, and so I just need to be around people. And so the ideas come from all over the place, and I have a yeah. less formalized version of, um, yeah. you know, um, moving those things forward. For right. What do you guys think about um, the guy that's got to <clears throat> manage up? You know, we have you know because in what. What sparked this question is you said safety. You felt safe in doing that, mm-hmm. and I and it, and so I wanted. I was thinking, well, let's go down that line. Um, you know, what what do you do to create an environment where you're safe? But then my next thought is, 
What about the guy who's managing up? He's part of an, he's part, he's listening to this. He, he doesn't have the luxury of being mm -hmm. in charge, being the, the lead guy, <clears throat> but you want to see more collaboration. So what, what would you guys say to that guy, you know, about how do you, how do you manage up in terms of the idea of? I, I tried building a, a real relationship when I was a youth pastor. Um, our, the, the senior pastor at the church in New Jersey always invited the whole team to, to be in relationship with him, and everybody turned him down except for me, it seemed like. <laughs> so I would constantly go in his office. Because he didn't really mean it. He yeah, didn't. apparently. He, he's not an extrovert. And everyone looked I at you and they're like, why are you taking him up on it? You're not supposed to I know. <laughs> so I played basketball with him twice a week. I went in his office. Yeah. We would, um, we would, my wife and I would like drive to a great restaurant in his town and then call him and say, we're in your town. Do you want to go play Scrabble? And we'd come over his house, play Scrabble. Right on. So some people thought I was trying to be a golden boy to get my agenda accomplished, but I, I just knew nothing about ministry and wanted to be around the senior pastor. Mm, yeah. So because we built a, built a real relationship, uh, that trust then came and I was able to get some of that mentorship and, uh, you know, green lights to move forward on certain things. But yeah. I, I have a clear conscience that I, I didn't do that with an agenda or an ambition, but because I needed the mentorship and I was, I'm going to trust the guy at his word. He's not going to come to us. That's just how he's wired. That's yeah. okay. But I'm going to go to him, he said, too. Man, that's yeah. good. Yeah, you're taking him up on what he asked you to do. Yeah, I know. The poor guy said it. <laughs> Which is yeah. actually the way I would answer that question. I, I think it's as simple as, you know, and, and again, there's probably two parts of the question of managing up. I think there's the average like congregant. How, how do they bring a particular burden or vision that they might have? But then sure, maybe right. more officially on a team. We encourage people to share their you know, the passions for ministry that they have or their ideas, particularly on staff. Like, man, if you have a vision, by all means, present us. Now, we do manage their expectation. Like, it may not right. get approved. <laughs> right, right, like, right. just know that. Right. Just be humble. Yeah. Not every idea is a good idea. And you know that from my own experience. Right. Like, it's, or maybe it just right. doesn't. It's not the right time and we don't have the research. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a lot of caveats. But we do want to create a culture where people can explore, they can pray, they can, like, talk yeah. about it. And then, you know, for us, we have like our, our, our staff team and then we have our lay leaders and in a similar way, similar way, Rob, you know, obviously as elders, we have to like discern. Sometimes we're presenting something to get feedback. Sometimes they're presenting something to us. We've yeah. got to get together. We've got to pray about it. But I love that open line of communication. Yeah. I do think yeah. it is important to manage people's expectations because we've all sure, gotten the email like, I want to start a... <laughs> Yeah. You know, a blank, a tambourine ministry. And you're like, okay, <laughs> well, she asked for it, so we got to do it. You know? like, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think there's a very loving way to say, like, look, we're not always able mm -hmm. to, you know, sure. fulfill every ministry idea that's ever come from sure. the church. Our yeah. job is to discern, you know, what is the best and yeah. right thing for us. But we definitely want that open door of communi communication. Yeah. Yeah. So I do think managing yeah. expectations is important. But also yeah, give the freedom and permission to, to ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And for us, I mean, it, it all goes under that banner of, of the confirmation. Like, yes. hey, we're going to, oh, yeah, we'll pray about this. You know, we'll pray about it. Or sometimes you just know, like, yeah. uh, no, that's not going <laughs> to happen. But um, tambourine ministry isn't going to happen. But, but uh, <laughs> other things. It depends on where you that. are. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but I think part of it, too, and I, I found this in, in our culture, is part of it is, it becomes a part of your DNA. And, you know, one of the things that's part of our DNA, I love to refer to 
when Paul is talking in, in Philippians chapter 3 about, you know, wanting to discern the reason why Jesus apprehended him. And I tell the congregation all the time that for Paul, that was an ongoing revelation, that every new city, every new place, it was like, oh, this is why God apprehended mm. me, is to preach here in Ephesus. Mm -hmm. And and so one of the things I, I share with our church a lot is that we all have an assignment and we're, you know, part of the, the Christian life is figuring out what is God's assignment mm -hmm. for, for me right now in this season of my life. And I like to really equate it to um, the question of what has God put into your hands? And I look at Adam and Eve and I see that, you know, mm -hmm. God, I, I would, I would uh, describe their assignment in this way, that their assignment was to love him to love one another, and to take care of the garden. That's what he put into their hands. Mm -hmm. And so I always say to the body, what has God put into your hands? What resources? What mm -hmm. relationships? What, what opportunities? And then, um, and then I want to encourage them that, look, we want to get behind you in what God has put in your hands. We want to encourage you, you know, in, in what God has put in your hands and you know, help you use and discover your gifts. And I think that that kind of language just frees people to be right. like... You know, God has something for me, and my churches—they're mm -hmm. behind me. They're going to, yeah. at the very least, pray for me. Yeah. You know, in mm -hmm. in this thing. Rob, you mentioning that is reminds me how important it is to. It's one of the fruits of collaboration. Is you're able to discern, is that vision you have or that ministry is it for you as an individual? Yes. Is it yeah. perhaps maybe for a group within the church, or is this a right. ministry for the whole church? The whole church. To consider. Yeah. I, I yeah. love that because when, as you were describing that, like encouragement of what's it, what's in your hand, I think we've all found as leaders, there's times where people will bring us, whether it's a staff or a lay leader, someone in the church, you're kind of hearing them going, okay, that's great. I don't think we collect, I'm not sure that fits right yeah. collectively for the church. Maybe we don't have, you know, the right resources or ability at this point in time, but man, maybe that's for you, but you don't, you only yeah. discern that in the collaborative process, in yeah, the, exactly. right. the conversation and the talking right. through it and, and whatnot. And I think that's really important for people to know that there's different levels that that ministry can take, but collaboration is what helps discern what form that ministry can take. Right. Yeah. And to establish that culture of collaboration, either if it's, if it's the culture of your staff or if it's the culture of your key volunteers, or you know, just generally in the in the congregation, um, I think it, it's helpful for us to be able to to instruct and to point out and say, you know, teaching our people, look, community is seen in the Godhead, you know, with mm. a with an outward focused orientation, you know, let us make man in our own image, mm -hmm. you know. And, um, and then again, community in the church, you, you have this outward focused orientation, you know, you, it's impossible to miss the one another's of the Bible as you mm -hmm. read through it, mm -hmm. um, you know, love one another, to be devoted to one another, honor, live in harmony, counsel, serve one another, you know. Um, and then we see this, this collaboration as we go through the scriptures in Acts chapter 11, you know, Saul and Barnabas, you know. Uh, Barnabas goes out and recruits Paul, and they're right. collaborating together. And uh, then they're collaborating with the church in Jerusalem in Acts 15, you know, when they're dealing with some heresy. And, and you know, Paul then recruiting Timothy and collaborating with him. And, and then we see Paul's heart into the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, 124, where basically he says, look, we don't want to dominate you, but we want to work with you, mm -hmm. you yeah. know. 
and so I think as we're instructing our, our people, our teams strategically to say, look, collaboration is biblical. We, yes. see, we see it. And this is what we want to strive for. Then that kind of gives them permission yeah. to be able to step into that and, you know, to respond to those invitations that are given um, to say, hey, we, we want to see you. You know, if you've got something to share, share it. Yeah. Yeah. Then they can step into it. Giving them that freedom, I think it's huge. Um, hey, let's segue into talking about collaboration as it relates to uh, the teaching ministry. Mm -hmm. I think it, that, that, again, is something we didn't really see modeled uh, for us growing up. But I, I think I know Ted and I um, have been doing a lot more of this in recent years. And I know that's a huge part of your guys' culture, uh, Tim. But what does that look like for you guys, Ted, here at Reliance? Um, we intentionally uh, involve the guys on on a regular basis, whether I'm in town or out of town. Uh, every um, four to six weeks, I want to I want the congregation to hear from one of our other pastors. So you're collaborating by having some of your other pastors teach. They're in regular rotation yeah. in teaching, and then also we're collaborating for certain series. Okay. Uh, so. Uh, our Advent series for for Christmas, um, we we collaborate together on that. Or mm -hmm. during Easter, beginning with Palm Sunday and all through Holy Week, we're collaborating to see what it's what it's going to look like, what direction we're going to take. Mm -hmm. Now, for you, Tim, and correct me if I'm wrong, you have actually a weekly collaboration in the preparation. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Although we've recently <laughs> transitioned away from that for the time being because it was so time-consuming, yeah. um, but, but we haven't eliminated collaboration, but we did eliminate how formal it was, and yeah. in my travels, and I'm sure you guys have seen this, you know, I've seen everything from, um, I had the privilege of sitting in on Keller's meeting in Redeemer, you know, like back in the day in New York, seeing how they did it, and it was so long and so formal. It was amazing, but it was a lot. For a yeah. lot of churches, that just doesn't work. Like to take, right. you know, that many hours to have the sermon done that far in advance. You know, it's just some of some of this church size dynamic and all that plays into it. But we've never eliminated the collaborative, you know, effort. So mm -hmm. for us, collaboration very much goes into the choosing of a series or a book that we're going to teach. Uh, we involve our prayer ministry in that. Like, uh, mm. so our prayer ministry is all oh, kind of this one good. group, and they pray for and over people on Sundays, of course, but they also pray into a lot of matters for the church. So if I say, you know, right now we just started Second Thessalonians. So back when we were praying about it, the elders were talking about it. Then we shot it out, you know, to some other people there. And then we threw it out to our staff to see if it kind of resonated. And then if we really sense that, man, we, we think, you know, this would just be such a timely book for us, then we'd get into the collaborative part of um, mapping out the series. So everyone would, would have a say in that. Um, I'm sure we've all used the phrase first among equals differently yeah. uh, within leadership team. The way that I see it, the way that we see it is um, there's first among equals in your area of gifting. So I'm the first among equals in teaching and preaching. We have another elder who's first among equals in student and family ministry, so on and so forth. So I will kind of go get an outline together and then I will present it and then I'll have everyone feed into it. Like, hey, how much time do we give to this text or that? And then I'll go back to the you know, back to my draft and adjust it. So that's how we map it out. And then we'll also choose the right teachers for that, whether it's people on our team or a guest. And then when it comes down to the week of preparing it, 
we always get another person or two to like, you know, go through the outline and whatnot. But it used to be more formal. The sermon had to be done, you know, at least 75%. And we would like read the whole thing and everyone would chime in. But to be honest, that works in a larger, probably church staff. And I had that back in LA and different times. It's just honestly not practical, but you still want to run it by people and get that voice and expositors collective. We talk about the importance of that all the time, like get other people, you know, to speak into the, into the outline. So important to collaborate on that. That's great. We're doing something similar recently where I'm going to teach about 41 sermons a year right now, or early on, I might scale that back later on. So about every five weeks, I'll have one of our pastors um, teach. But what I do is um, we plan our sermon calendar in October or November for the following year. And and usually 95% of that stays the same unless there's some crazy stuff going on in the world, which never happens. Um, (laughs) Well, now it always happens. uh, That's the problem. I know, all the time. I can't even teach through a book anymore. (laughs) Every year is an election year. Um, So a month before I create the sermon calendar, all of our pastors are sending me thoughts, you know, like, hey, I think this is what our church is doing. Um, If I were to write a letter to the local church, like a revelation letter. Here's where I think we're doing well. Here's where we're not doing well. So that kind of helps form some of the ideas. And then I have a, a recently formalized, like, t- I don't know what to call it, a teaching preparation team. So it's uh, four to five people that are diverse um, lay leaders in the church. So I've got um, the worship pastor's wife. I've got some older people, all different kinds of ethnicities, people that have different kinds of jobs. And what they're committed to do is to pray for me while I'm studying. And then by the, by Sunday night, they're reading ahead in the chapter I'm going to be teaching on in the following Sunday. And they're just going to give me a half a page to one page of notes saying, hey, here may be some uh, blind spots that you have. Uh, make sure you don't forget about the single mom or the blended family mm. when you're talking about this. That could oh, really wow. hurt them. Um, so they're just answering some basic things that might help me with blind spots. What questions would a new believer have, an unbeliever? Um, so they get that to me on Sunday night. I, I, I read that quickly, and it's pretty easy. And it's just by email. And I tell them, it's no pressure. If you're, if you're busy, it's fine. I love writing sermons alone. But, you know, so they get that to me. Monday and Tuesday mornings, off-site, I get alone and write the majority of the sermon in the morning. And then Tuesday, I have a pretty good uh, first draft. And then after that, I go to a different team of basically... Um, one of our current pastors and then retired pastors that happen to call Cornerstone home. And I send them my outline that's almost ready to be preached and they give it a once through and give me a couple more thoughts. And then after that, I finalize it, request my slides. Um, and then four times a year on, on series that I choose, um, I give them a worksheet and ask them to give me feedback on my actual delivery of the sermon Mm. as well. And so I'm trying to like limit that. Not all, not all the time, give me feedback, but four times a year, (laughs) give me, give me feedback. So, I mean, I take, you know, I'll watch preaching, you know, the art of teaching John Mark Comer, those guys had a really good teaching, um, you know, workshop class you could take. And so I do stuff like that as well, but it's Mm. been, it's been great. I mean, it really has been helpful to catch some of those blind spots early. I still feel free to create, but then I get one more once over by a retired pastor is, is golden. That's cool. Yeah. I love that. That's really great. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed uh, yeah. with you guys. Uh, I, I'd say my uh, collaboration looks a little bit more like Ted's in the sense that, um, you know, we might talk through ahead of time a book. Um, hey, what, what do you, you, know, you guys feel like this is, you know, would be timely, you know, for the body. 
Um, and then we're talking through series, you know, like we usually do the uh, Christmas series and I'm not the only one that teaches in that. And so we'll, we'll talk through it or sometimes we'll pick a series and I know, um, like in the fall, we're going to do, um, on Wednesday nights, men of faith, Hebrews 11, and, and I'm not going to, you know, be the only one teaching in that. And so we'll, we'll talk through that with, uh, the different guys that are going to teach. But, but I got to be honest with you I, guys, I have the hardest time and this is the way I'm wired laying out, um, like a whole year of messages because, right. um, like I started the book of Acts. I know you're in Acts right now too. Right. And, and I started with the intention of, I have no idea how long I'm going to go on <laughs> yeah. this. I mean, um, and it's going to end up being a year and a half when I'm finally, you know, done with it. And, uh, so I'm always impressed with, you know, guys, uh, I, I, I told my media team this past week that after our week of prayer and fasting, I actually got, um, direction from the Lord on what we're going to be teaching for the rest of the year. And that has never happened. <laughs> my, my media director just said to me, I'm going to fast and pray every single time that God we gives you this. every time. That would be Because I just, I just right. made their life so much easier by sure. giving them that. But Yeah, but, but you know what, Rob? I think you're, you're freeing up. Just saying that is freeing some yeah. people up because not everybody's wired the same yeah, way. Yeah, I'm not wired You know, we... we uh, we had Nate on a couple times as a guest, Nate Holdridge. Uh, Nate, you know, has pretty much a five-year teaching plan. Yeah, seriously. You know? And uh, I'm like, wow, that's great. Yeah, our friend you know? Jason has a seven-year, seven, year, seven right? years oh, that's laid right. out. Yeah. yeah, I'd forgotten about Jason. <laughs> yeah, and there's it's the just dynamic insane. of the church itself. Like, I've changed. So at Reality yeah. Lay, when we were kind of at the, the big staff, you know, during those crazy days, it did require everything to be so much more formalized and in advance. And so there were for years, I, I had to do it a, a certain way, whether it's even like a worship team needing this, you know, X amount of weeks in advance. And because right. of the sensitive nature to the topics we were addressing and the size of the church at the time, there was just a lot more of a formal approach to it. And that has changed, like church planning. You're like, okay, I got 30 people. Like, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. It, and I have like a part-time person, you know. Right. So then that changes. But then that grows. You have to adapt. But I think the principle of collaboration should always under, you know, be underlying yeah. that. And I've, when we do the Expositors um, Collective that I know some of you guys have, you know, yeah. been involved with, you're aware that a lot of people attending those conferences, they have all kinds of different church and ministry sizes. And yes. I say, look, you might hear an example that's really amazing, but that fits that structure. What about if you have right. a s smaller congregation? Just adopt the principle. Read your yeah. outline to your non-Christian neighbor. Like I would just, yeah. I, I would just yeah. call, like especially in London, I would just, we rented this co-working space and I would just try out my sermon on literally, you know, this like British guy working next to me just to kind of see what their reaction was. And then I would on a phone call, run it by a member in our church. And then I'd run it by one of our staff members. That was a very informal, but still intentional version of what I used to do at a much more kind of a formalized level at yeah. reality lay. But I think yeah. the underlying yeah, thing good. we're all talking about here is involve other people in that, yeah. in that, in that process. It can save you sometimes. I, my wife looks at every, printed sermon, you know, er, early enough where I can make a change and 95% of the time she's like, that's great. Uh, but the one time a year where she gives me a look, 
I spend the rest of the night working right? on that sermon. It's a Saturday night, and she'll, she has saved me from that. Right? Well, it's funny because, you know, what are the, what's, the, what's the old adage? There's three messages you preach, right? The one bef- then you're putting the sermon together, the one when you give the sermon, and then the one in the car on the way home. And, and uh, it was interesting because yesterday, uh, is today Monday? No, it's not. Tuesday. So, so, uh, so, yeah, so, yeah, it was, it was yesterday. Okay. Uh, my wife and I were having a conversation about a message I preached on Sunday, and she had some insights that I th- I thought, man, I wish I would have talked to you yeah. on Saturday, you know, or She's like, earlier too. in the week. Me you know? too. I wish you would have talked. <laughs> 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 we can still fix this. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, it's it's interesting. How about collaborating with you know uh, department heads, mm-hmm. staff, uh, so mm-hmm. on? You know, what is what does that look like? Because that, you know, we're talking about, you know, the sermon, but there's, you know, there's a hundred ways we can collaborate yeah. in, in mm-hmm. the ministry. So what are some other uh, ideas here? Yeah, if I could jump in. We, um, sorry, Tim. Oh, no, um, just, we, this, is, this is a great, great conversation. This is a good one? Yeah. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so once a year, RXP is a church consultant too. So he works for Unstuck Ministries. And so it's just, it's gold to have a, mm-hmm. he goes out there and, here's the best ideas and can appropriately bring them back sometimes and we can pray about them. But, but he once a year leads an annual strategic meeting where we, we get off site for a full day. We review our vision, our discipleship pathway, the five, you know, all those different things. And then we just, with all the pastors, we start putting together what that year's, usually we come up with the, the first half of the year's initiatives. We want four or five initiatives of new things we want to do. So this Sunday, we're launch, launching a, a once a month family meal after our third service where, you know, five bucks for adults, kids eat free. If you're new to the church that month, you eat free and just trying to create some family stuff. So that came out of that, that meeting. So once a year, everyone gets a chance to pour in for initiatives. They're all different leaders. So our youth pastor may take a family camp initiative that doesn't really involve him. So it gives people a chance to step out of their lane and do something exciting for the church. And then uh, our twice a month pastors meetings that we have uh, is a time where if any ministry proposals are created. We have a form that people can fill out that are on our staff. If they're created and passed up to the pastors, then we go over them in those meetings. And we had this like sweet little old lady, she's actually an accurate description, um, that had a great idea for a ministry, but we knew she needed some handholding. We're not going to make her fill out our forms. And so one of our other staff members kind of walked her through the whole process, was an ambassador for her. And so we kept a bit of our structure and molded it a bit towards her. And a great ministry was launched uh, mm. through her as well. Yeah. That's cool. So we, we, do, we have those rhythms, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I think cool. for me, what was really important to understand in my own mind, especially as um, when I was younger and especially reality lay when it first started growing and our staff grew really fast. And I think at one point we went from like having 12 to like 30 and like a wow. year to a year and a half. It was just nuts. And I realized how unequipped I was, you know, just from kind of a leadership of an organization at that, that size. But one of the things that was so helpful for me was embracing the word <laughs> overseer and really understanding that my role is, yes, we want to encourage people to pray and present their vision, but my job is not so much you know, to tell them what to do, nor are they telling me what to do. I'm to make sure that whatever is being proposed fits in with the overall vision and direction of the church and right. obviously guarding the theological gate, which is um, 
assuming that in there. But that was very helpful for me. And it was also helpful to communicate that to our staff because there's that balance of mm-hmm. we want you to be free to make proposals. Right. But I also slash the elders. We also need to be right. free to say, hey, we don't think this fits in with right. the overall vision of the church. And as long mm-hmm. as we were saying that up front, it managed a lot of pain and disappointment. And yeah. the reason I laughed, by the way, Andy, I cut you off earlier. The reason I laughed is because <laughs> during that season, we had a lot of people on our staff who were probably the average age of like 23. <laughs> and we're in LA, right? It's like the most you know, expressive, yeah. individualistic place you know, on earth. So you don't need to tell people in LA that they should have a vision and a passion for what they want to <laughs> right. do. The hardest thing is making them know that like the thing that they want to do is not what the billions of people right. on earth need to do, you know? Right. And I mean, I laugh, oh, but like gosh. people quit because oh, like, yeah, I want to do this sure. thing. I want to create this huge resource and it was going to cost all this money. We're like, dude, this doesn't even fit in with the direction of our church. And like, how dare right. you? You're squashing ministry. And they, they left. Yeah. Oh, so if I learned one thing, it's the managing expectations. Yeah, managing expectations. And knowing my sure. role. Like I'm an overseer. Yeah. So I'm I'm not gonna be like the, you know, the kind of CEO that's gonna go around to our department head and say, You need to do this. Obviously I'm giving them the, the framework, there's the job that needs to be done, but all the particular aspects of it. Use your gifts, seek the Lord. But I am still responsible as an overseer. So I've got to make sure yeah. that this is fitting in with, with everything, both right. theologically but all the way down to the practicalities of it and so you need to know that like that's what you should expect from me that's what you should expect from the leaders but i don't want you to think that that means you can't present or propose things so there's that balance there Mm -hmm. Uh, it it killed me for years because everyone had an expectation (laughs) that we were just there to like fund any project that came in it's like no Mm -hmm. this is is not right so I, I think that uh, could be a whole nother podcast. Oh, yeah. Tim, so it's a on, therapy session, you know, maybe too. Like, managing <laughs> expectations. How to how to manage expectations of Gen Z and millennials on the idea yeah. of yeah. you know we, we want to support you in in you know the heart, but we'd also you know want you to feel like you're a part of this too. Yeah, and because right. and, that's the thing I hear so often is, you know, like you guys just want to, you're not willing to, you just want to squash everything. And we're like, well, no, we, we can only do so much, you know? Yeah, and, right. But, uh, and there's a lot of discussion about oh giving, you know, let's give these kids a seat at the table, yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. and let's not just give them a seat at the table. Let's give them a voice. And I, and I'm all for that. So am I, but you know, it's, we just you don't you just don't get it. We just don't hand it out. There is they some want vetting. To run, some of them want to run the table, right? There's some vetting <laughs> that goes into Vs? that, yeah, right? A view, a voice, and a vote. I don't know if you've ever right. been yeah. like in the board. Minutes, yeah, but, you know, I like, like it though. Yeah, yeah. Larry Osborne. Yeah, have the have the voice. You know, it's some people can have the view, but like as far as the vote, like there really is such thing as leadership positions, and there has to right. be decisions yeah. that are made. Mm. But they need to know the heart behind it, and that's why I like the. My job is to make sure it fits. So it's not so much my opinion, as it were, as I'm trying to look at every, what are we doing here? Students, families, men, women, different age Mm -hmm. demographics, and then our theological priorities and our missional priorities. And I'm trying to hear everything in light of that. And so if it's a yay or nay, what I hope they're not hearing is, oh, Tim likes or Tim doesn't like that. And oftentimes that's what you hear in those like really extreme senior pastor models. They're like, hey, what's your vision? They're like, yeah, I don't like that. We're not doing it. 
process doesn't that's produce great. any kind of I've never heard that, that to be honest I think that's great we, we, it's great we for marriage around. by the way too yeah <laughs> <laughs> anytime someone yeah. says oh I just thought that meant that their expectations weren't managed oh I just hoped okay. their expectations yeah. weren't managed yep we try and uh, have one-on-one meetings with our team uh, individuals obviously uh, every six weeks and we'll share expectations for them Right. And we and we agree. We agree upon them. And we write them down. and We both have that, you know, kind of a document. We try and do that more than an annual review, which is like six weeks touch points. But I don't think I've ever um, guided someone through how decisions are made. And I've had that mystical moment. They're like, well, we'll let you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which is the Christian way of saying no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. I'll pray about it. That's that. good. I'm going to research that. <laughs> which means soften no. this blow. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting, you know, I was thinking as you were talking about communication, of course, obviously that's on the, on the front end of it. But for us here, we have a department head structure, and it's finding that unique balance between letting a department head, you know, uh, you know carry, you know, their individual ball towards mm-hmm. their individual goal. And there is a place where we're all collectively conversing about it, where it is the we, where we're talking about it, as you were talking about. But then there's also that kind of that, that line where it's like, okay, now that's your ball to carry. Right. That's your, you know, you, that you're going to take it from here. And I actually noticed, and, um, and one, of my, one of my people actually pointed out to me to where we were, we're getting to the place where we were having so much conversation about the details of it. So our department head meetings turned into these massive planning sessions. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, no, no, we got we to gotta back this off. It was good for us to collaborate and to kind of get some clarity, but to the point to where now we all got to plan and, you know, no, no. Yeah. That, there's, there's, a, there's a point where you got to delegate that, you mm-hmm. know. Right, right. And I think there's also a point of sometimes just having a willingness, and I think this is a form of collaboration, um, but to be able to say with somebody, you know, hey, okay, you, you have this idea, and it definitely it fits within in the vision. Not quite sure, though, you know, if this is the Lord, but, but why don't you go for it, and let's just see if God's in it, you know, type of a thing. And then you sit back, and you watch, and sometimes you find out, oh, yeah, I don't think the Lord was in that. And, uh, but I think it's a way of also, you know, freeing up uh, people, especially people on our staff, to be able to dream and be able mm-hmm. to you know, take a step of faith on something right. and, and be willing to let something fail. I think we have yeah. to be able to be willing to do that. The risk of collaboration. There is a risk there. <laughs> faithful. What do you, what do you guys think? Faithful risk, you know, yeah. right. not but, unwise, but, you know, he, but there's he, a risk. Yeah, but you said something beautiful earlier, uh, Tim, about how when you are collaborating with a group and something does fail, it's not all on you, and it's kind of freeing to feel like, you know, like, oh, my gosh, you know, that was a stupid idea that I had, and now everybody's going to be looking at me. But, like, no, we went in this together with yeah. a sense of let's take a step of faith, let's take a risk, and, and let's see if God's yeah. in it or not. I'll, I'll use a real practical example of that. When we planted in London, um, we spent the first nine months doing, you know, core team meetings, prayer meetings, vision, values, kind of, you know, essentially like creating a core group. And then it came time to get ready to launch an actual public Sunday gathering. The problem was the location and the time. There was like nothing, like nothing. I don't know how many emails we all sent out to get venues. You know, London's crazy. Like no one would let us meet um, in the mornings. 
we only had options for the afternoon. And they were in a very central place, which not a lot of people live, but it is accessible to everyone. And I felt, man, this decision is so huge. Like this, I, I really need, um, mm. I need to hear what this core group, which at that time was probably maybe like 40 or 50 people. And so yeah. I threw it out to the entire group. And I didn't say like, I want your vote, but I, I did present it as I want all of you to pray because those of us involving in, involved in the decision-making process, this is such a huge deal. So long story short, we all, I got feedback, I opened it up. Like, if you want to give me your view on that, that would be amazing. So everyone kind of chimed in and we all agreed, let's do the, the afternoon service. And we did it for a year and it wasn't great. And at the end of that year, what was nice about that is I said, look, ultimately, like there's a group of us that have to make the decisions, but we invited you all into the process of that. And we've all discerned that it's not working. So it actually made me more free to then make yeah. the next decision because we've been hearing from That's you. Good. We've been seeing how hard it's been for families. Um, you know, those of you who are, you know, not yet married or you know, working, it didn't really matter that much to you. We kind of like almost informally surveyed the church, but because I was relaying that information, it gave everyone confidence that I slash the leadership team was aware of the needs there. And so we all kind of like, through that, hey, we have an opportunity to move to a morning service at a new location. You know, let's pray into this. Like, feel free to share your thoughts with us, pray with us. So we didn't invite them to vote, but we did invite them to have a voice. And because we opened that up, it just gave us so much more confidence going forward. But I was also able to admit, like, hey, we were all kind of in this thing for the first year. Right. And it didn't really work. <laughs> yeah. So I'm we never listening it. to you again. Yeah. I'm going back to just me, Moses. And, you had, you know, you had your chance. <laughs> I'm going back to the mountain. <laughs> no, but it was, what do you, what it do you guys think? Fail, the, fail together, but yeah. then take the next step together was important right love that what do you guys think about uh the notion of collaborating with other churches other ministries let's why is it so hard explore that right (laughs) that it seems like people in the church think that that should be easy right and so they're always suggesting ideas and um and then i just see all the obstacles and so there there seems to be a way to do it hey if you want to do this you know neutral thing then you know find a neutral location and we all you know, share responsibility or let's plan in advance the five different times we're rotating the location to five different churches for right. these corporate things. But it just requires so much effort really to to do that. And so And there's some practical reasons for that. Yeah. I mean it's kinda like, you know, you have two families talk about, oh let's 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 go on vacation together. Let's have our families go on and it mm-hmm. and you, well we got our own gig and you got your own gig and we got our finances yeah. to to worry about and yeah, that's so. I love going to the uh, prayer breakfasts that we have with pastors. I love those. Um, I love calling pastor friends and asking them for advice. Um, but not all. We, we haven't figured really, really cracked the code yet on how to work together on certain things. It seems like there'd be something we could do right. for the gospel, for helping the poor. But um, I don't know. It's always harder than it should be. Yeah, I think one place where I've seen it work though for instance like our our church just hosted a youth camp and you know we had four other churches involved Mm -hmm. and our youth guys do a great job of collaborating with those other youth leaders on what the weekend look like and 
who do we want to teach and you know that sort of thing where it's you know not just sometimes it's the you know the big church that's hosting something and they're like hey why don't you guys you, you can come along sure. and like we're going to plan it all and you you guys if you want to come you can come but i think it's different when we whether it's like a men's retreat or a men's conference or mm-hmm. and we're actually planning something and we're going to bring some other guys in and let's talk about you know hey what are the needs what do we want this to look like what are the messages that we want to you know, have shared. I think that collaboration can work in yeah. in, in that mm-hmm. way for sure. Um, Tim, I saw you had something kind of on your your thoughts. You, you you were about ready to talk. I mean, there's. <laughs> I've had horrible experiences, as I'm sure you guys have had, yeah. and then I've had amazing experiences. I think, especially in LA, there was um, a strong desire for churches to you know do everything together. Some of that was pretty un, unrealistic. Um, I think what we had to learn to do, the, the two things that came to mind is one, collaborations work best within existing relationships. Mm-hmm. So That's good. If, they, if churches heard me talking about another church or another leader or another pastor, maybe we had them speak or you know the prayer breakfasts and things like that, and I'm able to like reference that, the congregation feels there's a little more trust there, like they are a known entity. Um, but then the second part is there's levels of collaboration. So one of the things, um, like in LA, obviously mercy type ministry was probably the easiest collaboration because it didn't really involve, there's a lot of doctrinal concerns around collaboration. Mm. Like when I was in Hollywood, uh, um, Bel Air press, not Hollywood press, Bel Air press used to always host the, um, the big Easter service at the Hollywood bowl. But then it started becoming more of an interfaith, you know, type thing. And I was like, well, we, we can't collaborate um, right. on that. So I just started having to be very clear. People would ask, well, why don't we do the thing? You know, I had to say, look, there's levels of collaboration. If there are things that don't involve teaching or content, we have a mm-hmm. fairly low bar. Like the door yeah. is pretty broad to go serve the poor in Skid Row, serve the poor in Hollywood. Like mm-hmm. that, that door is pretty wide open. If we're talking about collaborating not on service but on uh, content, then there's going to be a much smaller door for that because we have right. certain responsibilities, we have certain convictions. And when I explain that to people, they would understand that. Or is it a long and is the collaboration a one-off or is it a long-term collaboration? Well, that's a different level of commitment, and that will require a lot more time. So once we started explaining that to people, look, we have different levels of collaboration, and, and that's not abstract. You know, there are reasons for that. And as we started explaining that to people, they understood why we collaborated on some things and refused to collaborate on others. Mm -hmm. But I did learn it works the best when you just have, you know, relationships that are known and you're talking about them. And yeah. One of the things I love about what you just said, and I say one of the things because I love a bunch of what you just said, but Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things is, you know, earlier when you were talking about managing expectations and and establishing, like, you know, clarifying what the expectations are, um, that reflects, um, you know, some some wisdom on your part to be able Mm -hmm. to say, what are my expectations in, in collaboration and being able to identify you know, these are the broad doors of, of collaborative opportunities. These are the narrow doors of collaborative yep. opportunities. And so, um, you know, that that's fantastic. That's really good. Yeah, and people like receive that. that well. Like, they, they get it, especially when you make the difference between service and content. Those are, as we all know, those are two right. very different things. There are some churches in L.A. that 
we would go serve the poor in a heartbeat and we did. But if we were going to do a conference together, there's a lot of times where I'm like, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. Convictions are too strongly divided. It would be confusing. It would literally be confusing. It's not going to be helpful. doesn't mean Mm -hmm. we don't love Jesus. We love Jesus. We're preaching the gospel, but on these other issues that are not central, but really important, it's only going to create Mm -hmm. confusion. So let's operate on a service level in our collaboration. Yeah. Relationship and, and similar mindset as far as doctrinally and missionally is, I think, really, really key. It's interesting, though, here in California, I think, because, you know, in California, we, we have, I mean, our churches are quite large, you know, for in, in comparison to many other places in the country. And so even finding a place where your churches could actually meet together is almost impossible. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's really, really hard. And so this idea of like, hey, let's have a, you know, community service, you right. know, type of thing. It's just, it's just difficult to, you know, try and pull off. But I love what you said about, you know, Tim, the levels of collaboration. I think that's a really great way to look at it. And, you know, defining what that is. Um, then makes it really easy to answer that question. You know, like, hey, yeah, we have- people otherwise they hear like, oh, you're, you either collaborate or you don't. Like they only have a, they have a very narrow <laughs> right. view yeah. of collaboration. Yeah. Like there's only one way you can collaborate. Right. And if you don't do a public service together on the first Sunday of the month in right. North San yeah. Diego County, yeah. then you're not collaborating at all. It's like, well, that's not true. Yeah. And, just, and another part, re- depending on, you know, broad door, narrow door of collaboration, um, there is still a common denominator of the need for shared uh, responsibilities, yeah. and which is a key part of collaborating. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you were describing, Rob. Sometimes guys are like, "Hey, this is this is our gig. We're doing this, and we want you all to get on board." Yeah. But they just want them to participate in the gig that they're doing, and right. they're not really inviting them sure. to partner in, in collaboratively mm-hmm. on yeah. something. You know, and so it can be, and when you know, it can look like, okay, we're doing this event, and we're going to have this church be responsible for this aspect of the event, right? And it's going to be entirely theirs, you know, and that's a way where you collaborate and you invite mm-hmm. participation. Well, I think a great example of that, Ted, is you know, your wife has the ministry when she leads, and mm-hmm. she has a conference coming up, and our church is taking one of the days where we're doing the food. Right. at it and you know um and, and so that's a way of like hey yeah we'll come alongside and, and be a part you know i i think um well and and andy's wife got to participate yep. in the last one as part of the yeah Brandon the, present- the okay. presenters mm-hmm. up yeah. front so and, and you know you mentioned also about with other ministries and uh you know a parachurch type of thing perhaps and and I think, you know, one of the things that the Lord put on my heart a few years ago was this idea that we can do more together than we can do by ourselves. And so I really started praying about, and we started praying about partnerships. Lord, who, what ministries out there are, can we partner with? And so one of the the ministries that the Lord led us to partner with, it was this food distribution ministry. Mm -hmm. And so every single Wednesday, um, this ministry shows up at our parking lot with a semi full of food, and then people in our church, and we've invited people from other churches, they come to help serve, yeah. and we have every single Wednesday morning from about 7 to 8.30, about 200 to 250 cars come through our parking lot, and we fill up their trunks with food, 
And um, I just saw last week someone posted a picture yeah, of yeah. your last That's event. That's not something we could have done on our own. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have yeah. the funds to go buy a semi truck full of food, and we don't even have a semi truck to go to the food <laughs> bank and get the food. But th- this ministry was looking for a place to do it, and you know, we did it. And then mm-hmm. another ministry that we partnered with is a really amazing uh, ministry. It's um, called Humanity Showers. And this guy has these mobile shower units. And he pulls up to to our church, and there's six showers. And we do every Friday uh, showers for the homeless. And people in our church and people from other churches come, and they cut hair, and they, you know, and just... So I love that, you know, that idea of, you know, collaborating. That's a level of collaboration that, hey, we can do this. We're the body of Christ. We want to reach out to those in our community that are in need, and this is a way that we can do it. And, you know, we didn't have a mobile shower, you know, but this guy, he has six of them, and he takes them all over the place, Mm -hmm. and it's amazing. And so we partner with him by providing the spot and the place and and the laborers to help do it. And I love that type of collaboration yeah. with mm-hmm. other ministries. Yeah. Our missions pastor is really good at that. He already had a, a missions nonprofit organization called Mosaic International. And so when we hired him, we were looking to transition from really uh, funding good international missions back to a discipleship model where our people are going and serving. But you know, he studied at Fuller and different places to, to really know. And he, his main question he asks churches all over the world is like, well, what do you want to do that has nothing? And we just want to do that for you. We want to fund it. We want to help you with it, but we don't want to bring, bring the idea. Mm. And so sometimes we're like, are you sure you want to do it? This is the number one thing they want to do. All right, then let's do it. And he does that locally too, where he just calls <laughs> up nonprofits and says like, how can we be a blessing to you? I think we're throwing a just a family party for the Boys and Girls Club in Menifee just because they work so hard there in that community and we're just going to go bless them. And so I, I would have done something different, but they're like, this is our number one need. And so, all right, well, we have to listen to you. Yeah. Right. That's right. cool. I love that. Yeah. Really cool. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, guys, this has been an awesome uh, conversation and really appreciate um, you know, everybody's input and, and sharing your experiences. Um, I'll just kind of let each one of you go around and, and see, is there any last thoughts that you might have Anything we haven't hit on that that maybe you think would be important? Um, anything on your heart? And I'll start with you, Tim. I think the the one thing that I've been reflecting on, even as we're talking about it, and when you told me that we were going to discuss collaboration, collaboration sounds great to people who haven't collaborated before. It's <laughs> a really great idea. But especially in ministry, the more that you do it, you realize that man, there's beautiful moments and there's really hard moments because Mm. collaboration can be really messy because you're allowing other people to speak into something or participate in something. And I think the the reflection that I'd want to share with other pastors is don't allow the negative experiences you had in collaboration control whether you choose to collaborate or not going yeah. forward. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think as we've all referred to that there's very, there's a very beautiful biblical value, you know, the multitude of counsel, there's wisdom that seemed good to the Holy spirit and to us. Um, yeah. You know, you were referring to gospel, Paul's gospel partnership, even though Paul right. clearly is an apostle in Romans one, he's like, man, I want to be mutually encouraged, right. you know? So there's mm-hmm. this beautiful collaboration yeah. within the church. It is often messy but it is worth it. And I yeah. don't want, I've joked about some of the bad, bad experiences I've had, <laughs> but I don't want to become cynical about it. And I have seen 
and this isn't just because of the church structure, I have seen some senior leaders who, because of wounds they've experienced in an Mm. open collaborative process, they've isolated themselves. Mm -hmm. Like they've just kind of like removed themselves and they're a little like out of connection, whether it's with their leadership team. And I know a few personally, and they'll admit they're like, yeah, it's too, I I got hurt. I don't want to do it anymore. And, and that's real. Yeah. But I think we just need to be wise in going forward, like expectations, guardrails, a process, like whatever it is, but I just don't want anyone to, allow their bad experience of collaboration to determine whether or not they collaborate. I think there's a yeah, beautiful biblical good. principle there that we want to pursue. And this conversation is great. Hopefully it'll inspire some people with some good that's ideas great. about how to do it. That's a great word. Great word, Tim. Yeah. I want to follow it up though with this question for you and Andy. Um, in your preparation, have you ever had this experience where somebody gave you some input and you didn't use it? Did they get offended? <laughs> yeah, so Did they I ever started, not get offended? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, when I invited people onto this team in that invitation, I, I told them, you've got to be the kind of person that knows that you, you are supporting me by doing this. You may not find a single quote in what I say, but that doesn't mean you didn't help shift me or prevent me from doing something. And so I did it on day one, and it's a one-year commitment I'm asking for them. Um, so... I did try to manage expectations early on that one because I'm like, man, I may never use anything. Mm. But the one time a year when I'm told about a blind spot that prevents me from hurting somebody in the church by speaking yeah. insensitively, it's going to be worth it. That's great. I'm, I'm really glad I asked that question because that, that was golden, Andy. What were you going to say, Tim? Yeah, I, I, I did not, as, as Andy did, I didn't know that I needed to you know, set people's expectations and implement you know, how I was going to communicate with that. But man, probably maybe the first several years, five years, like especially reality lay when I just didn't know if somebody contributed something and I didn't use it or if it wasn't approved or if I didn't say it in a sermon or something like that, I would literally get like a novel. Like people would literally, there was, there was a woman who left the church because a thing she, she wanted to, she wanted me to include, I, I won't get into detail. She wanted me to like include this thing in a talk and I didn't include it. And then but I never even understood the the level of gravitas with which she presented it. It's like, wow. I didn't know this is like your life or death, but I get this like wow. giant email. She left the church because I didn't wow. use her idea. And that was like within the first year. And that just happened often. And it revealed how precious people can be about their ideas. Yeah. Because like you, you alluded to Rob, like it feels like a rejection of them. Yeah. And I think it's learning the hard way. Like, Oh, wow, people's default expectation is that I am going to endorse and use and champion like everything that they say. It's their hobby horse. Totally. So having to manage their expectations in a way that doesn't come off as condescending, like I genuinely want to hear you, but I also genuinely cannot use everything. Like I just can't. We just can't. So yeah, I wish somebody had told me to learn how to navigate those conversations earlier because uh, I was hurt in that yeah. process and then they were hurt. I unintentionally hurt them as well. So yeah, I, that's such a good lesson. Andy, I'm so glad you were able to take this wisdom. <laughs> to <laughs> articulate that for sure. That's so good. Any, any final thoughts, Andy? Um, just that the mission and the vision should be so important that we realize we have to collaborate, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I tell our church often that I, I don't think if they're Sunday only Christians, 
I say it slightly nicer. Um, that's not where change happens. Like change doesn't happen from listening for a bit. You get momentary conviction that most people don't have the capacity to go and then make a change in their life. You need to grow with others. You need yeah. accountability, right? Yeah. So you got to get into groups and serve. And so we're asking all of our ministries to embrace the mission, our discipleship pathway, even though they're different. So the kids ministry has to figure out how to help the hurting but how does a second grader do that? Well, they got to figure it out, right? So that if, if the discipleship pathway and the vision is in all the ministries, it actually has a chance of changing the church culture and being effective. If it's just the sermon and on the website, we really have no chance. They're not going to see it, remember it or anything. So if, if there's buy-in with all the, the leaders, then there's a, there's a chance. And so we've got to go for it, even though it can be messy and painful. Yeah. Love it. Ted, I, I think, you know... Uh, I love what Tim said about how collaboration is really born out of relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think about our relationship. Yeah. You, you and me, Rob, we've been close for a number of years. This podcast is a collaboration that we do together. Um, and when you collaborate, you know, you lead differently than I do, but we're both leaders. And so when you collaborate, it's like you can't, you know, there's, there's give and take. You know, hmm. and uh, we and think differently. <laughs> <laughs> Our brains work differently. Our brains work differently, but it works. Yeah, you know, and uh, so yeah, that's my final thought: is that is to uh, to highlight an exclamation point and asterisk next to what Tim said about those. Re- it all comes out of relationship, and I think that um, that if, and maybe this is projection on my part, but. Um, working on developing those relationships more um, f- fosters any hopes that you would you might have for collaboration, and so totally. that's an important thing. Yeah, I love the the saying that a leader is a learner, and um, I have learned a lot today from all you guys, and uh, jotted down some some notes, and I just appreciate um, everything that you guys had to say and share, and I felt like this is. Uh, uh, going to be very helpful. So thanks, Tim. Thanks, Andy, for being on the show yeah. and being Thank with us. Uh, love you guys. Love you guys, too. Glad yeah, it's not called you. the Leadership Individualist. That's podcast. right. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> right. Hey, that concludes our show for today. I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Leadership Collective podcast. And if this program has been a blessing to you, we'd love it if you would uh, subscribe and also share this with a friend. Like us on Instagram. Uh, It's a great way for us to know if this is ministering to people. Uh, We look forward to our next show uh, coming up uh, next month with uh, Jason Duff and Pastor Jim Gallagher, and we will be discussing understanding your church's seasons of momentum and creating effective on-ramps and off-ramps for your ministry. So tune in next month, and uh, we just really appreciate you joining us today on the Leadership Collective podcast.